You're listening to Diary of a Shaman, a podcast that humanizes spirituality and helps you feel less alone in the journey to connecting with spirit, the universe, healing, and living out your soul's unique expression. I am the Jaguar Curandera, Valeria, and I am known for my ability to channel and bridge shamanic knowings with practical knowledge to help you co-create with God by bringing you back to your truth. I'll guide you weekly into new ideas, practices, and perspectives to give you the tools you need for that next level of your life. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to an episode of the Diary of a Shaman podcast. I am really excited for you to listen to this interview. And two seconds before we get started, don't you love the initial intro now? I love it. If you're new here, that would have been the first time that you heard it. If you've been here for a while, that's also the first time that you've heard it. I really enjoyed it. I sort of like, um, uh, you know, going with the flow with this podcast, seeing what creativity comes through and not limiting it. So today's conversation, let me tell y'all, let me tell you, Emily Ann Brandt is a brilliant, brilliant Indigenous author, speaker, and mentor who really breaks down this journey of decolonizing the self. I almost said decolonization. But we go into decolonization. We go into, you know, that might be an uncomfortable topic for a lot of us. So I want to also just pop in here and say, hey, it's okay. Let's talk about this. Let's see how it's impacted us. Let's see maybe these blind spots that we didn't, want to accept that we're there because we've already maybe put ourselves into a box where we find that we are different and we don't want to accentuate being different. And also I'm being brought up right now by spirit, this conversation of you being a good, good, um, person of color, which, um, Emily, uh, uses the phrase and the term, uh, person of the like majority people of like the majority um majority of the population because majority of the population isn't white and so you know that's a term to replace BIPOC and I wanted to say that before going into this when she says um and she refers to the majority and the people of the majority she's referring to that sort of change in language and even when she said that for the first time it sort of was like to my mind it was sort of like, a, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because I feel like that makes me feel in a way like, okay, I'm not that different. You know, I sort of, I, I, I'm, I'm this always, I've always sort of felt out of place being a Ecuadorian, living in Canada, living with parents that were Ecuadorian and immigrants. I know a lot of you have the same story or, Maybe you were born here and you still had different places, uh, born in a North American country, for example, but you've always been different. Regardless of what your story is, I wanted to be able to highlight that today. And in no means is this an all-encompassing conversation, um, and we didn't go into every little detail, but what I did want to bring through in this conversation that you're about to listen to is the self. Is like, why don't you feel like you're enough? And how is that tied to the fact that you've always been told that you have to be a certain race? And for me, I always felt unconsciously that I needed to be a white person and not practice my indigenous knowledge. We also talk about slightly about the appropriation that happens 
when we bring these these this knowledge that came from indigenous uh ways indigenous um yeah ways of knowing ways of living it was just their life and how it's been exploited and um I just want you to get into this. I want you to get into this. If this is your first time here, stick around. You're going to really love it. Um, and if you have continued to be here, hi. Hi, babe. How you doing? Hope you're great. <laughs> uh, I hope you like this new sort of uh, format that I'm doing. And yeah, continue to like, continue to rate. And I would actually love to know your response to this because I had a lot of aha moments. So let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Diary of a Shaman podcast. My name is Curandera Valeria and welcome back. Today we have a very special conversation with a beautiful person. Um, her name is Emily Brandt and today we're going to cover a lot that I've really been feeling that I need to learn more from and that this community has also asked me for. Um, so we're going to be calling calling we're gonna be talking about decolonization also how mixed i mixed culture mixed ethnicities mix all these things how we can find our place in the world and feel safe in the multicultural person that we are and so much more so emily welcome to the show thank you so much (laughs) for having me it's an honor to be here oh i'm so excited Yes, and I would love for the podcast community to first of all get to know you a little bit um, and how you got into decolonization. Yeah, sure. So, hello everyone. My name is Emily and I am a First Nations um, Mohawk on my father's side and um, born and raised in Tyendinaga Mohawk Territory, which is a small First Nations reservation in southern Ontario Um, but then my mother is white she's European settler ancestry and her ancestors are from um, England Scotland and Ireland so I am mixed ancestry and even though I did grow up um, on a reserve I uh, a lot of our um, culture our language the ceremony protocols the practices all of that was stripped away as my My father, who is the Mohawk one, was very much assimilated into Canadian culture, as were his parents, thanks to the Indian Act and residential schools and everything that did its best to just create this very colonized um, Canada that we now know, know, or so-called Canada, right? Um, So how did I get into decolonizing the coaching (laughs) industry specifically? It's kind of a long story, but basically I've been into personal development, like manifestation, law of attraction, growing myself, very ambitious, very goal oriented from, from, from a young age. Like I remember being 10, 11, 12 years old and watching Oprah with my mom and just loving it. And we made vision boards together and we bought the secret, the book and all of that. Um, and so I've loved it for a long time and then kind of, kind of abandoned it through high school and then got back into it in my twenties and started a business in my twenties. And so I'm 31 now, almost 31. And I've been navigating this world of, of personal development and manifestation and success and law of attraction for the last 10 years. And I've been a coach for the last three years and, um, 
I noticed this industry is very white dominated and that it doesn't really do anything for those of us with ancestral pain, with the pain of being separated from our culture, our our teachings, our language, and that's a lot of that really impacts your self-worth. It really impacts your ability to manifest. Um, and this industry is just so dominated. Like if I think of the people that I first learned from, it was like it's Tony Robbins and Rachel Hollis. And like the coaching industry too is just filled with um, filled with a lot of women, but it's filled with mostly white women who are not uh, equipped to to address these things and who are operating in very colonial capitalistic ways that once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And now I'm on a mission to help coaches decolonize and help people like myself to heal from these things that really do impact our ability to manifest um, success. That that is an introduction if I've ever heard one. Wow, you hit me on so many points on the ancestral healing, on the patterns of trying to shrink and minimize our culture just for the white supremacy of it all of like, oh, we're not like this. We're not like the dominant culture. We're not like everyone around us. So maybe we have we're something's wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And when I was entering this uh, spiritual space, I felt very out of place initially because I was like, oh, my God, I don't look like all these women. I I come from a different culture. We operate uh, differently um, I, I want to focus on more, more like earth and healing. And so I felt like so many people were just like, let's just ascend and let's just do it this one way. And yeah. I've, I felt very like, okay, so I must not be good enough because these white people are getting the praise and their teachings are getting the praise. So I must not know what I'm talking about or what I'm feeling. Um, yeah. So what you were saying like very much resonated and I feel like there must have been a lot of courage to to really confront the community on your part of being like, "Hey, this is what I'm seeing and I don't like it." Could you talk about that journey and were you ever scared of speaking your truth even if it was different from the dominant culture? Mm. Yeah, great question and I just want to be- I'll answer that, but I just want to also touch on what you said about um like learning these seeing these different practices and things being taught by white women and like the funny thing is they are teaching the indigenous wisdom they are teaching like the the wisdom that comes from those of us in the global majority which is a term to replace BIPOC black indigenous people of color right latinas latinx um, asian south asian indigenous cultures like I learned about the power of positive mindset and energy and clearing your energy and working with spirit and working with smoke medicine, aka smudging. I learned all of that through white people. And then only now as I'm making my own efforts to reconnect with my Mohawk culture am I learning, whoa, this all of this came from us. This is this is indigenous practices. Um, And I've had the privilege to reconnect with some of our elders and learn this wisdom through them the you know the proper way and it's just so interesting that I had such pain from being disconnected from that and and it's even like painful and emotional but beautiful too to reconnect um, because it's such an act of resistance but then to see these white people just like bottling it up and selling it 
and it's them and their ancestors that are the ones that stole it and forbid like indigenous people were literally forbidden to practice it was literally illegal to smudge to sing to drum to go to ceremony to do our dances which are all just about gratitude for the land and like being in healthy reciprocity and love with one each other one another um and all of that was literally outlawed and now it's being it's being bottled up and sold and we see it everywhere in this industry when it's not even built for us the people who it was stolen from so it's just wild i just wanted to mention that i got chills (laughs) i just got like my whole back was like chills oh my gosh yeah it's 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 huge it's it's one of the biggest problems that we see in this industry so like that right the cultural appropriation that we see um which includes well-meaning like I'm not I'm not here to like shame anyone and say that they're ill-intentioned or anything like that but includes well-meaning beautiful coaches white women with beautiful hearts but they're like waving sage around and they're talking about um chakras which are actually pronounced chakras (laughs) as my Indian Mm -hmm. friend Hannah helped explain on my podcast and they're just like it's the appropriation we see is just one of the many ways in which this industry is so uh, so colonized and um so harmful to those of us in the global majority but to answer your question as to whether or not it was um you know uncomfortable to confront this of course it was um i learned so much from so many incredible white mentors and um i never want them to feel like i'm like you know backstabbing them now or speaking ill of them or anything like that but i did see this problem because i was i was so good at these white spaces because i got good at um at shutting down my indigenous part of me um because the other thing about me is that i'm i'm half white like i said and i'm white passing which means that i don't look quote unquote like visibly indigenous so um it just became easier i experienced racism as young as like six and seven years old so it became easier in my life to lean into my whiteness and to not, you know, not participate in protests, not um, stand up for indigenous people when horrible, horrible things were happening, not to rock the boat, not to be seen as what was portrayed in the media as like bad troublemakers, disruptors, um, people blocking the bridges and highways for very good reasons, um, because change doesn't happen without disruption. But for most of my life, I did stay silent and um, it just caught, it caught up with me how harmful that was to me to not own that part of myself and and to stay silent and I think when um, in Canada when like I already knew about residential schools I actually wrote a book about them when I was in college so that was like a long time ago (laughs) quite a few years ago uh, 10 years ago and I wrote this story about residential schools and I did my own research and I remember it being really hard to find information on residential schools Um, I was searching YouTube for interviews with survivors. It was really, really hard to find, but I knew about it and I wanted to to put um, a face to, like a face behind the story. And so I wrote this fictional story, but based on real events of residential schools about a little girl who gets taken away from her family and forced to go and she's given a number instead of her name and she's beaten for speaking her Mohawk language and she ends up getting sick and dying because that's not an unrealistic scenario this happened to majority of people who went to these schools um anyway when I really couldn't realize I couldn't stay silent anymore I think was when 215 children's remains were found 
um, at the site of a residential school at Kamloops um, in BC. And that's kind of when I was like, okay, there are, this is even worse than I thought it was. This was actual genocide. And I could feel the pain of my ancestors of those children who didn't get to come home. And I was like, it's not just about me. I have to, I have to do this for them, for the children who couldn't and be their voice as well. So that's really what kind of flipped the script for me in terms of no longer being willing to stay silent. And like, of course, every day it takes courage, but I just, I really saw Once I saw how much healing there was to do here, and then I brought it to my white coaches and my white spaces that I was in, and it was not, they weren't able to hold it. They didn't, they didn't know how to react. It was met with silence. It was met with like a heart reaction. Like I brought, I brought some really deep identity stuff to this mastermind that I was in and it felt really vulnerable and big to share and I typed it into our group chat and the mentor just like liked it, like heart <gasps> reaction and that was it and moved on oh my gosh. and I was like, say more things, like do more, <laughs> what is happening and this is not an uncommon experience because um, I think for a lot of white women, it's just like, you just don't know what to say and you don't want to say the wrong thing. And I get that. And I think I'm in a unique special position because I am half white and I'm white passing and I acted basically as a white woman for years. So I totally get the discomfort. I totally get the guilt and the shame and not knowing what to say. So I think it's a little easier and I have a privilege in that sense that white women can see themselves in me and they feel a little safer with me. So I'm determined to use that privilege um, to create positive change. Yeah, and the power in in bringing, hey, look at everything that's happened. And yes, it pains me. And yes, I'm going to use that pain to make yeah. sure that there's something there that somebody can have a resource to. Because I think a, a spot where a lot of us can get tripped up and I have a pretty, not it may not be unique, but it's sort of like a different situation where... Um, I, my step family is white. And so when all of, let's say the George Floyd protests happened last year or two years ago, oh my gosh, so long ago, two years ago, um, it's very like, they were like, oh, like they didn't, it was like a, I don't know what to do and I don't, and I'm not responsible for it. So I'm just going to just like, "Uh," and, um, and you know, like even if they were, well-meaning but it's like oh I don't know like it always sort of sat weird with me that I'm like no there's sort of this compassion for a human that is lacking here just to not take responsibility for the privilege that you get a lot of access to like for example like two white males are in this family and I'm like okay (laughs) you have a lot like of you're like up up and like yeah you're at the top of the chain and yes I benefit from that because I live in the home that like that this white male can provide because of all this privilege and yes it's hard work and it's not like discrediting them at all but it is acknowledging oh my god there's so much to unpack here and you offering sort of services of hey I know that you might not know what to do but here's like what you should do or ways that you can hold space for people that don't have the same background as you because 
I feel like that's something that for me was missing a lot of the time. I, I remember just like never feeling heard by people because they're like, at the end of the day, you came to Canada, so you got to just like yes. be here. You know, you can't be like stirring up shit anyways. We're like, Canada wasn't even there to begin with. So it was just, yeah. it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's just like so, so much. Um, and I want to go into the identity piece that you were leaning into because you I, like identify as an indigenous woman and you're half white. And I myself am also half indigenous and I'm half everything else because <laughs> us Latinos are like mm-hmm. so, so much. We're like a blending pot of so many things. But obviously like very white passing, like I had blonde hair before and people would say like different things about me, right? Or treat me differently. Um, so how have you learned to be like, no, I'm indigenous. Like, yes, I'm half white, but I'm indigenous. Mm-hmm. Sort of that energy. Yeah. Yeah. That's been the struggle is like not feeling, um, Mohawk enough for the Mohawk people. And not that honestly, most people on the reserve ha- have mixed ancestry. Like it's very rare that you find the people with two fully Mohawk parents, even if they think they're fully Mohawk likely they do have some mixed mixed blood mixed ancestry because colonization happened <laughs> like settlers came we can't deny that um and and ethnicities became mixed but um i still found like there were some people who spoke who did speak the language in their house and they did go to the longhouse and they did go to the ceremonies and drumming circles and i always felt envious of that because we didn't have that and my dad was very much an assimilated um like he he has his own his family has very severe trauma and their own reasons for not not being proud, not wanting to be openly indigenous. I think he looks at me and my sisters reclaiming um, our pride and and openly talking about indigenous issues. And he's kind of like he's worried for us. Um, I think if he were me, he would just fully pretend to be white for sure. Um, because literally it was not safe. Like there were so many injustices that happened to his brother to his niece, to my cousin, where like it wasn't, the police system didn't protect anyone, the justice system didn't protect anyone. Um, So it was physically not safe. And obviously for his mom, for his parents, like, you know, (laughs) the Indian Act, residential schools, all of that, very, very dangerous and scary. And so that trauma is actually like, it gets carried down with us. It's in my bones, it's in my DNA. And I do feel it sometimes when I'm showing up and getting visible, but, denying it and just acting white was so much worse like now i'm living a real authentic life and i'm i'm proud i'm not ashamed to say that i'm mohawk and i'm from a reserve i'm from a first nations reserve and that i'm i'm white passing and i'm half white because it was first it was like i'm embarrassed to say that i'm indigenous and then it was like oh i'm embarrassed that i'm not indigenous enough and then it was like, wait, I am enough. I am a whole person. And these things are actually what make up um, who I am. And right now with the work I'm doing, it makes up this beautiful medicine that I've worked really hard with ancestors um, on, on my inner world to reweave this beautiful medicine that I can I can see both sides of things and I can help um, white women and indigenous people and people of the global majority walk together in a good way and actually create reconciliation. Um, and live in healthy reciprocity with each other again but yeah it's definitely it's a it's a huge identity 
struggle. And that's the thing that I was trying to bring up in my mastermind and it just got like totally ignored. So now thankfully um, I'm working with, I took some time just to be with myself and be with spirit and ancestors, but then I did um, get a really aligned opportunity to work with Asha Frost, who is an indigenous Canadian mentor, healer, author, and she's literally my only role model in this space. Like, and she's amazing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want any other person, but that's it for me. And I was just saying to my friend, like, thank goodness, I don't know who she had to look up to. Because before her, I didn't know of any international best-selling Indigenous authors specifically in the personal development world. Um, or like speakers or coaches that are doing what she's doing on that level. And I was just saying that to a friend, my white friend, um, last night or two nights ago. And she was like, yeah, I never have to think about, like, I think all the my favorite coaches and role models are white women and I probably have more than 10 of them that I look up to and I never even thought about them being white and I'm like yeah that's your white supremacy in action right so I think like when people hear white supremacy they think it's like these really horrible um evil uh obvious groups like the KKK and like horribly violent um hateful groups but it's we're all it's baked into all of us even those of us with black skin, brown skin, indigenous ancestry, like it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's in our institutions. It's in our hospitals, our schools, our programs, like our police system, our healthcare system, everything. And so we even internalize this ideology that one race is the superior and the gold standard for being human. And it's the default. And so we all like going back to our topic here of self, um, decolonizing the self we all have to unravel that and unwind from that and it's not just those of us that are in those like extreme groups or like you said earlier your family being like well I didn't I didn't kill George Floyd so I I don't know like I don't know what to say I, I feel bad but I didn't do it but your silence is taken as approval and it's those with privilege <laughs> it's those with sorry privilege. I got chills <laughs> chills that I just saw <laughs> it's the people with with privilege and power who are going to end racism and colonization um and this uh, this totem pole system this hierarchy that we have it's not going to be the people that are oppressed it's the people whose voices carry more weight and who people listen to more and that is white people including white women and coaches yes to all of that and I'm also hearing like between the the lines there that because for example you and me might get more recognition because we're both uh more white passing we're both Mm -hmm. we're we're not too indigenous looking or we're not like people can see themselves in us where we live in some capacity it's also like okay so that's also an added response not responsibility, but it's a responsibility that we love of, okay, I I will be listened to, so let me stand up and let me not be ashamed of the fact that, like, maybe white people, like, listen to me more or I look more white than I would want to to be, like, in this one space, but it's more like, okay, this is your body and now what? Like, what are you going to do about it? Because I find myself sometimes in for lack of a better word just like in a victim mentality of like oh my god like in my sort of uh situation I'm a shaman that was 
initiated in Peru because I am Ecuadorian, so it is my coastline also. Like, that's my ancestry. It's not this, like, oh, my God, I'm going to Peru, and I'm just going to, like, yeah. trip out and, like, all of this thing that, like, often happens. I went to Peru once and did ayahuasca, and now I'm a shaman. And now I'm a shaman. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's so much deeper than that, and sometimes mm-hmm. I... I like my the mean part of my brain discredits me and it's like well you're not enough for this or you don't look this much or um all all of these things that's like I'm not enough yeah and I think that that's something that we all struggle with yeah and that's the internalized oppression like um a lot of people just call it ego or like your inner critic but uh, Asha Frost actually taught me like we have inner oppressors and I was like oh that's what that Ooh. voice is that is like first of all it's like you're not white enough but then when you do try to claim your cultural pride and your heritage it's like oh no now you're too white huh so i got you either way i keep you small either way um and that is what that's exactly what the oppressors want yeah and then we're stuck in this loop of oh like okay I'm gonna please this side okay no I gotta please this side no and then we never like just fully exist which is why like when I found you I was like (gasps) like I saw myself in in your story in how you show up in the world I was like (gasps) because I I'm in this in this time in my life where I'm really being like okay I'm enough and look at this example I'm enough and look at this example So that I can really deconstruct all these parts of my brain because I'm really in like that part of my development journey and that, that part of my spiritual journey. And so you so openly talking about the injustices that just occur and especially in this coaching industry that um, I'm sort of like continuously finding myself into, it's it, it was refreshing for me and it was something that I knew like was exactly what was the medicine that was needed in this moment and I remember one carousel that you posted where the you were thinking everything that sort of got you here and one thing that really um got brought up was just how you relied on community you're like I'm here because of my community I'm here because of the coaches that I've hired I'm here because of the elders that have taken the time to listen and share their story with me or their wisdom with me I'm here because of the animal spirits that I work with it's just so funny because I'm like heavily in the animal sort of realm and so can you share with me um that sort of communal aspect of how you got here and why you lean on your community and why it's important Mm, yeah so community is everything and that's something that's interesting too about this coaching industry is that it's It's so, um, this whole like wellness space and self-care space, it really, even in programs that are supposed to be group programs, there can become this toxic individuality um, where it's like, me, 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 how can I get to the next level? How can I achieve the 5K month, now the 10K month, now the six-figure month? And it's, um, what can I do for my mindset, my limiting beliefs, me, 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 me. Um, And a healthy sense of community is actually like the original that's the indigenous way of being um, for indigenous people and for all people in the global majority we thrive in community we we 
all humans need community care. We need each other's medicine. We need each other's gifts. And um, so when I was, that post I was talking about all the things that have been helping me step into this medicine, like literally I, I got myself an indigenous therapist and I got myself my mentor Asha, but I'm also in a group program with her and it's very like circle community vibes everybody speaks for like equal amount of time or as much as they want to um and then I lean on my ancestors who circle around me I lean on um animal spirits that teach me specific things like the medicine of the turtle that's reminding me it's okay slow and steady wins the race it's okay to prioritize peace and that's an act of decolonizing because everything is like go 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 how fast can you get there um break the records do the things keep up with the 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 rat race that this industry has become even though most entrepreneurs became entrepreneurs because they wanted to leave the corporate rat race and they wanted to leave the colonial kind of patriarchal systems we so clearly see in in the nine to five corporate settings a lot of times and then they they left that race just to just to become the same rats, different race, and and it's just become so capitalistic and so competitive and so self-focused versus community focused. Um, when, yeah, community community is everything, and we just have so much to gain from each other, from each other's medicine. Um, that that's something I'm really passionate about too. And in the new year, I'm going to be creating a community program for people in the global majority to have, yeah, to have these, these healing conversations that are not given space. They're not given space in this industry, like the identity, the layers of trauma, the complexity, people who are mixed ancestry, people who um, just feel out of place because white supremacy is real and we have to stop pretending it's not. Mm. Preach. <laughs> we have to stop pretending it's not. Because mm. I felt some resistance once upon a time with that. Me too. Because I was like, because I was like, huh? What, what do you mean? Wait, so from, like what? Yeah. Like, yeah, sort of the KKK sort of image came mm-hmm. to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently I heard it just uh, simply explain like, no, we just think that white is a, whiteness the is default. superior. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the default. Like, and everything else is like wrong because it needs to become that. Yeah, everything else is other. Is othered, yes. And then it really hurts. Like just like, like just as children growing up in this society too. It's like, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm different, and mm-hmm. maybe I should continue to be different. <laughs> yeah. And as I've been reclaiming myself, because it really just is like, okay wake up why are you trying to be like everybody else everybody that's not even you (laughs) like I haven't like I don't see like Ecuadorians up here talking about all this so for me it's like oh my god so I can't do it because I've never seen it and it's like no 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 babe relax (laughs) well yeah and that's the thing is if you don't see it that means you're meant to be it and somebody else is gonna look at you and be like oh I feel seen, just like you said to me for sharing my story of being mixed ancestry. That's going to be you um, for other people. So I love that you're doing that. Oh, thank you for saying that because it is sort of sometimes like, oh, it can be exhausting being yeah. or feeling like you're another. So maybe yeah. 
um, and I know that you've been in this industry for a long time. So my question for you is, when you get to a point where you're like, oh my God, or like you're like sort of burnt out from being this advocator, this everything, this trying to like fight like the normal that's not even normal. <laughs> um, how, how do you deal with that? Or do you have any things that you sort of rely on to get you through those moments where you feel like you can't? Mm, yeah, the work does, it can get very heavy and, and exhausting sometimes and frustrating. Um, but mostly, honestly, it's rewarding. Um, and I'm just so lit up about it so far that I haven't really been like, oh my gosh, I need a break from this. Like, this is too much. This is too heavy because I've already taken my time on my own behind the scenes to do a lot of healing with my ancestors. A lot of tears have been shed. A lot of like ceremonies with my ancestors ancestors have happened, you know, behind the scenes on a spiritual level. And I feel genuinely like my work is life-giving and it gets to be life-giving. It actually fuels me. Um, because it feels like every single thing I say, every post I put out there is again, me doing it for the ancestors that couldn't and me doing it for future generations. So mostly it's, it's so far, like, it's not like, oh, this is heavy and I need a break constantly. But when I do, um, I just unplug and I get my sage and my cedar and my sweet grass and I smudge. And I like to do that pretty much every day anyways, cause it's very grounding or I'll go in nature and, um, something Asha taught me and one of my Mohawk counselors taught me is just if anything's ever too heavy just give it to the land and you can go outside and you can put tobacco down or you can put an offering down and just ask the land to hold it for you or just ask the water to carry it for you because the land here's the thing too about community that's why I included the land in that post and that's why I included like spirit animals and and spirit beings in that post is like the land will always hold it people may let you down People may not always have capacity to hold stuff for you, but the land always will. It really will. And all of land, all of earth has a spirit it's connected to us. It's connected to creator. So you can always go outside and like literally give it to the water, give it to mama earth. And um, so that's another practice that I do sometimes if, if I feel overwhelmed. Such a great practice. I yeah. feel like when I do that or I I had a very difficult time in my life maybe a year ago now like it was just like a very big sort of oh god so much of what I've learned was fake let me try and rewire my brain (laughs) (laughs) and that's like so difficult at times right and I I would just sit in my backyard and just like Mm. just sit like every single day and just like cry on the grass or like look at the tree and just like sulk it all in and then it was very difficult for me initially to do that because to do that I needed to pass the living room and in the living room was the side of my family the white side of my family right often Mm -hmm. and something they didn't practice something that was sort of like okay that's weird for Val like she never did this before neither so they have an idea of who I am which was just me not knowing who I am um and just in in this discovery phase and I felt a lot of resistance sort of like having to walk out and being like yep yep I'm grabbing my like picnic mat and I'm just gonna sit up there and like Mm -hmm. it was just so like oh my god this is so vulnerable where it's like 
<laughs> this is how how it is like this is this is the normal to commune with what is around yeah. you and so finding that courage and so just in your words I really I feel like right now I, I like see like an image of so many like things just like communing together and it's like this is how it that's this is what I've been needing because I feel like this hyper individualism that has yeah. been happening has been really creeping into my mind as being like oh it's not okay to need people it's not okay to like lean on people um so this like coaching space has a lot of that and I want to know about your sort of take on why why that is why have we stopped leaning on each other why and why is it like taboo and Ugh. is it because of colonization <laughs> that's i mean in a nutshell it's because of colonization i wish i knew i i think people don't even realize we're so far we're so deeply indoctrinated and like brainwashed basically into these colonial ways of being we've we've had our whole lives of seeing this authority structure right even if you look at school there's one teacher there's a bunch of students you each get your individual assignments you do you get your grades you pass that's up to you like everything's up to you um and like when we look at the way our jobs and our whole like just our whole economy how it's structured it's very like every man for himself or themselves and that's something we never had as indigenous people you literally needed a tribe a group because everyone ha it's, it was recognized everyone has their gifts everyone's going to contribute some people will hunt some people will clean the fish some people will weave the baskets some people will make the shelter some people are the fire keepers some people will take care of your spiritual health there's the storytellers there's the medicine keepers like everyone has their roles and we just all, we've lost all of that and so it's it's it makes sense to me why we're seeing these colonial structures duplicated in the coaching industry like even if you look at a mastermind i was just talking about this a mastermind is a word that i've like taken issue with <laughs> people know this but like they call it a mastermind which originally means a bunch of people bringing their heads together because more minds are better than one right mm -hmm. um so that's great although i believe we need to meet not just mind to mind but heart to heart and spirit to spirit and go deeper but they're calling them masterminds, but really it's just another word for group program because it's still just one teacher, a bunch of students, and on the calls, it's like the one teacher is talking and answering everyone's questions and they're the authority. And that's kind of that. And there is a group chat where like a little bit of the real masterminding happening happens, but there's still this like the teacher being put on a pedestal and then the, and then they have to set all these like strict boundaries because um, it's like, oh, protect your energy, like don't overgive, your time is so valuable, money, 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 like don't go a minute over an hour, don't check your phone, like, and I agree with having healthy boundaries, but I think it kind of goes a little too far sometimes, because um, I look at how Ash is running her spaces and like, our calls, we all get to talk if we want to, if they go to 90 minutes, they go to 90 minutes. If they go to two hours, they go to two hours. Like there's only three calls a month anyway. And then in between we have a Facebook group and um, Asha usually comes in there in between calls and like reads cards and stuff for us. And I'm like, this is perfect. And in between, we don't need to be in a group chat. Um, 
We don't need to be constantly plugged in. We actually have time to do our own integration and then come back in a healthy circle and share when we're ready. Um, and it's just been so, so wildly different and such a decolonized approach that I'm loving um, from what we see. But yeah, I think it's just, it's so baked into us. We don't know any other way to be unless we do have those connections to those um, indigenous and, and global majority cultures where that is like that's the foundation of our culture it's it's community community care community care yes a hundred percent and i have adored everything that you have brought out so like just so realistically grounded down like hey this is this is what the fuck's going on (laughs) and (laughs) this is also the reason that you feel xyz and i've found myself in this conversation realizing oh I am enough oh I am okay because I've just tried been trying to compare myself to a society that never wants me to be enough so of course I'm never going to be enough and so as we round out this conversation what would be sort of a few initial steps you would recommend somebody to take on this inner decolonization journey So the first thing, no matter if you're white or if you're from the global majority, is just looking looking at yourself, right? And seeing, oh, in what ways have I been upholding a colonial white supremacist culture? And like, what does that even mean? And there's a lot of books and resources you can check out. Um, one that I'm highly recommending now is called White Women, Everything You Already Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better by Syra Rao and Regina Jackson. And even if you are um, a person of color or an indigenous person, it's an uplifting, empowering read because it's what people are saying and what I said about it is like, it's being ungaslit. Like we're getting ungaslit because it's saying, no, white women, stop doing this. Stop deflecting. Stop pretending these problems don't exist, which we see so much in the coaching industry, which is why this book is now it's a required read for any client who any white woman who wants to work with me um, I'm requiring them to read it because we see that's exactly what we see in the coaching industry is this like the only limits are in your mind everyone has access to personal power just tap into your power and then we black brown indigenous people feel like crap when that doesn't work for us and we we are made to feel like something's wrong with us so it's this it's this learning and acknowledging so you can stop gaslighting us because the truth is you actually do, you do know. That's why the book is called Everything You Already Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. Um, and it, But recommend that read for everyone. And yeah, for everyone just to really examine, whoa, how am I feeding into this, this hustle culture, this go, 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 this capitalistic, um, am I having this pressure on myself today to make a sale, to perform, to put something out versus like, being being at peace resting resting is resistance and yes we want success we want action we want to put our medicine out there but we don't want to do it from just you know this feeling of it can't come from this place of not enough which i think it is right now for most of us even the people we see that are making really good money they have all the things on paper guess what they don't feel enough either and that's what the that's what the industry depends on. That's how the industry makes sales. It depends on 
colonial capitalistic culture making people feel not enough especially women not wealthy enough not thin enough not fit enough not healed enough not shiny enough and that's why they buy the programs and then they buy the programs and then it's like well if you really want to go to the next level you actually need my 10k program and then if you're really all in like if you're going to be one of the seven figure people at the top with us then you need my six figure program and it just feeds it with more of the same so we have so much deconstructing to do and really like it comes down to being being enough as you are and resisting with your rest with your presence and coming back to the land coming back to community coming back to who you actually are as a soul not who you think you have to be in this society where our identities get dictated to us even even white white people mm-hmm. something that we all need to look at because it's yeah. affecting us all yeah, thank you so much emily i have like learned so much from this conversation just and i'm sure that um every single one of the listeners are just feeling just wow like super powered up super empowered and thank you for being able to bring this conversation and shining your light and uh giving examples to who we can be and who we are so please let everyone know where they can find you upcoming projects anything 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 thank you so much for hosting this very important conversation um it was an absolute honor and privilege to speak with you so everybody can um, the easiest place to connect with me is probably on instagram so i'm at emily ann with an e uh, emily ann brandt and then my website's emilyannbrandt.com um, if you are a white coach i have this uh, event called the round table and it's how to decolonize your coaching business specifically with tangible things you can implement today um, and it's available instant access that'd be in my link uh, that'd be in my bio on instagram and then as i mentioned i have some group programs coming up in the new year if you're in the global majority and craving this real true community space um, so just the, just come hang out on instagram and you'll see all the things there all the things and her instagram is very powerful and really great and we'll have that all in the show notes below thank you so much for listening to today's podcast if you loved it share it on your ig story um tag us we want to see your takeaways we want to see how this has resonated with you thank you so much for listening again and i'll see you next week Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Diary of a Shaman podcast. Show your love by sending us five stars on Spotify and Apple so we may continue to grow this beautiful Jaguar community. Join us over on Instagram for more behind the scenes at the Jaguar Curandera, and I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.